Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study will be coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll be teaching out of the NI version. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity to come into your presence to study your word. Lord God, it is my prayer that you open every ear to hear and every heart to receive all that it is that you would have for us to receive. And dear God, I will be so careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise because I recognize that it all belongs to you. And so it is in your son Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and had handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play with when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. 
So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. When the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So endeth the reading. As we examine this evening's text according to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we will find the transfer of the kingship. We will see the steady demise of King Saul, who is the current sitting king of Israel. We will see the selection and preparation of the next king of Israel, who will be David. We will see him anointed king of Israel. David, who is a foreshadow of Christ. We will see this pattern of God. Um, we will see the pattern of God with King Saul and David. Uh, this pattern of where the firstborn is rejected and the secondborn is accepted. We saw it first with Adam. Adam is God's son who is created, who is rejected. And then Jesus Christ is God's second son who um, is born, who is accepted. So this pattern that is taking place here where the firstborn is rejected, the secondborn accepted. And so here, King, this pattern of God is taking place. King Saul, first king of Israel, rejected. David, who will be anointed Israel's second king, he is accepted. So we have King Saul rejected, David, the next king, accepted. And just like with us, when it comes to us being born again, um, before we are born again, that first us is rejected. And then when we be when we be born again, that second us is accepted. So there's the pattern of God. And so let's get started. And so as we look at chapter 16, beginning at verse one, we find God presents Samuel with a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a statement formulated as a question but that is not supposed to be answered. And so the question, this rhetorical question that God poses to Samuel is he says, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him king over Israel? As we studied in last week's lessons and the chapter and a few, you know, for the last couple of weeks, we saw where God has rejected Saul. Saul disobeyed God he rejected his word. He rejected God's word by not following his instructions. God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites. He wanted him to destroy all of them, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys, all. But uh, Saul started off good. But then in partway through the process, he went path. He chose to do things his way. And he saved the king and he saved some of the choiciest animals, the ones that were good. He got rid of the ones that did, was no good. 
and he kept the ones that were good. And in doing this, he ended up being rejected by God. God rejected him as king. And when God rejected him, this was not something that God was really happy about. It said that God, in the King James, it said, repentive that he had even made Saul king. And so this idea of repentant or regret in the NIV, it's not the same way that we as humans um, interpret the regret or repentant. Um, in fact, this was more of a emotion that God felt he was disappointed in Saul's action. You know, he felt this, he was sorryful, but not sorry as if he made a mistake. Like, you know, he made Saul king and um, he didn't know that Saul was going to mess up. God is foreknowing. He knows all of that. He already has that in his plan. He already has a solution before the problem because he was already looking at David, even while Saul was before even before Saul even done this act. And so he regrets that he has made Saul king and the King James says repentive. In other words, he is sorryful. He has this sorryful emotion like like disappointment. And so does um, the prophet Samuel. He's not happy that Saul has disobeyed God. He's not happy that this has transpired. And so Samuel has been in a time of mourning. And so God is saying to Samuel, he's saying, how long will you mourn for Saul? Which is an indication that their mourning has an expiration date. He's saying, how long will you mourn since I have rejected him king over Israel? In other words, why are you mourning over something that I have now rejected? He's calling him to fill his horn with oil and be on his way. He's calling him to come out of that season of mourning. He's calling him to to stand up or rise to the occasion because he has an assignment for Samuel to do. So he says, again, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him? In the same way with us, there's times where we may be in a season of mourning, but just like God is calling Samuel and he's questioning Samuel in this situation, he's saying, how long will you mourn? Again, another indication that mourning has an expiration date. God doesn't tell us that we shouldn't mourn, but there's times where we spend too much time in one season. He had, uh, Samuel had been in a season of mourning. He was mourning the fact of what the first king of Israel has done. He is mourning the fact that King Saul has messed up, but God is calling him out of that season of mourning. Just like there's times where God is calling us out of certain seasons. Sometimes we can spend too long in a season. We can spend too long in a season of mourning. We can spend a too long in a season of grief. We can spend a spend too long in a season of being angry and upset or hurt. There comes a time where certain seasons, there's a seasons are seasons for a reason, just like we have summer, winter, spring, and fall. We can't have spring all the time. We can't have summer all the time. We can't have fall all the time. We can't have winter all the time. Seasons come to an end. There's an expiration date. And Samuel has is at the expiration date. God is saying, feel your horn with oil and be on your way. Then he moves on to tell him, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
he is now calling Samuel out of that season of mourning because he has something for Samuel to do. And in the same way, God is calling us out of particular seasons, seasons that we have spent too long in, and he's calling us to move forward to a, the next season. He's given us an assignment. There is something for us to do. We cannot become stuck in these certain seasons. He has an assignment for Samuel and he's telling Samuel, he says in verse one, he says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. And so he's giving Samuel this assignment. But as we look at verse two, Samuel's response to God's assignment, there's some apprehension taking place here. Samuel's, okay, God is saying, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So He's calling Samuel out of this season of mourning. He's already rejected Saul. His eye, God's focus, his focus is now on David. His focus, he has shifted his attention towards Bethlehem. He is telling Samuel, I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So God is ready to do a new thing. This is an indication that he is closing one chapter, if you will, and opening up the next chapter for Israel. He says here in the word, the bottom of verse one, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So that is an indication there is something new taking place in Israel. There is a shift. There's a transfer of the kingship that God is um, executing. And so God's attention is now, it's no longer on, on Saul. That's the past. He's now looking to the future. He's looking towards David. He's looking towards Bethlehem the place where David will be found. But Samuel says he's, he's apprehension. He, he, there's some apprehension here about this assignment. He says, but Samuel, this says in verse two, but Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And so Samuel is being honest with God. He's sharing when he's not refusing that, you know, he's not being disobedient or being defiant against God or, or it's telling God, no, he just has some concerns. He's laying his concerns out to God. He's asking him, he said, how can I go? And there is times in our lives, just like Samuel, when God will give us an assignment and then the assignment may come with some difficulties. In fact, it might even come, we might even feel fearful about some things. It may be a dangerous assignment. Just like here, he says, if Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And so he has some concerns about the assignment. But instead of him not voicing those concerns, he instead he, he voices those concerns and tells God how he's really feeling about this situation. And so look what the Lord said. The Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so here God gives him a solution. He gives him a, a strategy for the assignment. And in the same way, just like he gave Samuel a strategy and a solution for his assignment, the same is true for us. There's going to be times where God will give us difficult assignments to do. It may come, we may have some apprehension about it because it may be dangerous. It may be risky or, or it may be something that may scare the daylights out of us, but all we need to do is just like Samuel is, share with God what's on our heart. And look what God does. He gives him a solution. He tells him to take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then he moves on and says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicated. 
So he has laid out this assignment. He's given him a solution for his fear. And so, but what we need to recognize here is he gives him the assignment, but he doesn't give him all the details. He just gives him enough to get started. Look at verse three. He says, invite. He tells him in verse one, fill your horn with oil, be on your way. He tells him that he's going to send. He's sending him to Bethlehem. He's telling him where he's sending him. He's telling him who to see when he gets there. He's sending him to Jesse of Bethlehem. But then he says, I have chosen one of his sons. Notice that he does not reveal who that son is. And so if we jump to verse three, it says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice after he gives him the solution for his fear, you know, of, of Saul hearing about it. He tells him to invite Jesse to the sacrifice and he would show him what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicated. Notice he didn't give him all the details. He did not tell him who he would be anointing. He told him what family it would come from. He told him where he would find this family. He told him who the father is, but he did not say who he would be anointing. And oftentimes like Samuel, God will give, send us on an assignment and he will give us certain details, but he won't give us all the details up front. He will give us just enough to get to the next part. Sometimes he won't reveal all the details until he gets, till we get way into the process. He tells him what to do. He says, fill his horn with oil. He tells him where to go. He's going to Bethlehem. Who to go see when he gets there? Jesse. He gives him a solution for King Saul in case King Saul hears about it. A solution of protection. And then he finishes telling him what he wants to tell him about the details. But he just gives him just enough to get started. Can we? Because Samuel, it says in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord says. He took all of that. He didn't, by him not even having all the details, even though he didn't have all the details, he did what the Lord said. Can we, like Samuel, when the Lord gives us an assignment, when he get, provides instructions, can we, like Samuel, even though we don't have all the details of the ins and outs and the whys, the wheres, the whos and whats, can we, like Samuel, do what the Lord said, even if we're lacking details? Or do we get stuck? and get paralyzed because we want to know everything there is to know. We worrying God, we're going back to God asking him, well, God, notice that Samuel didn't say, well, God, well, who, who is, who am I anointing? Okay. You said Jesse's son, but which one is it? What does he look like? Where can I find him? He doesn't say any of that. It just says that he did what the Lord said. So we can learn a lot here from Samuel. Given details, sent on assignment, not given all the details, he still moved forward. He did what the Lord said. And so he arrives in Bethlehem. The elders of the town, when they see him, they tremble. Um, as a side note, prophets in those days, when they came to town, they came with the word from the Lord. It wasn't these kind of words that you get now with some of the prophets these days, the people that call themselves prophets. And I, when a prophet in these days came to town, when they came to town, it was to bring a word of judgment and or encouragement. And so when these elders seen him, they trembled because they thought, uh oh, we're in trouble. He must have a message from God. And so he reassures them that everything was OK. He came in peace. And he tells him, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And so he, he's not lying because, again, the Lord told him to take a heifer. And so he is coming to sacrifice. And so he invites them to the sacrifice. And then he moves on and consecrates Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so 
now he he's executing his assignment. Everything seems to be going as planned. You know, the instructions that God has given him. He so far, everything is lining up. And so verse six, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And so here it is. They're at the sacrifice. Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. So he's looking at Jesse's oldest son and by his appearance, he is judging that he is the one who, he's almost certain that he is the one who God is choosing to be Israel's next king. Surely, again, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So here, the prophet of God, the messenger of God, one who has um, delivered words to Israel and has been on point here. The prophet of God is saying it, saying to himself, surely the Lord's anointed stand here just by looking at his appearance. But look at verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, he says to him, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Then God goes on to tell him the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel was visible. He was looking at the appearance of Eliab, thinking that because of the way he looks, certainly he would be the one. God checks the prophet and tells him and corrects him and says, no, that's not the one. Do not consider his appearance or his height because he's not the one that I chose. And so that's 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 that's, that shares with us a lot of wisdom. Oftentimes we are judging things by the appearance. I know I'm totally guilty where when you go to date somebody, the first thing you want to do is look at what they look like. You want to see if they look good. You know, they you know what their face look like, what their body look like. And we we make our judgment against what they look like instead of asking God what's in their heart. And uh, many of us, me, I can attest to this. Many times I have chosen things or I have made a selection, not even just with relationships, whether it might be a car or a, a place to live or an item on a menu or whatever, just by looking at something, I'm thinking it's going to be one thing. But then after I experience it, I find out it really wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And so here, Samuel is considering Eliab because of his appearance, but God checks him and says, don't, don't consider his appearance or his height. Because he has rejected him because he goes on and says the Lord does not look at the things people look at. God doesn't judge people according to the way they look. He looks at the heart. And so wisdom tells us that if God is not looking at the appearance and he's looking at the heart, that's the thing. That's the same thing we should be searching for when we're looking for a spouse, when we're looking to get in business with someone. When we're looking to get in relationship, and I don't just mean between a man and a woman, I'm talking about relationship as far as friendships and things like that. I think it would save us a lot of heartache and frustration if we stopped and said, you know what, Lord? Yeah, this looks good, but what's in the heart? Lord, reveal the heart to me. And so he tells him, don't consider him. I have rejected. Then Jesse called Abinadad and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, nope, not him neither. Then Jesse had Shema passed by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Notice that once God checked Samuel and corrected him, he got back on board. He got back right. 
And so he told him after the third son passed, he said, nor has the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Hmm. God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be king. Jesse brings his son, but each son that he presented before the prophet Samuel, the Lord said, no, something is not adding up here. Something is not right. I've been sent on an assignment to Jesse of Bethlehem. This is Jesse. We're in Bethlehem. He's brought his sons before me to anoint one. I almost made a mistake and anointed the first one because I was looking at his appearance, but God corrected that. He checked that. And then from there on, I was waiting for God to point out who the next king would be. And each one that Jesse presented, God rejected. So Samuel said, standing there like, well, wait a minute, something's off here. But instead of Samuel questioning the assignment from God, as if God made a mistake or as if he misheard God or as if he didn't hear God right. Instead of him questioning God, going back to God, being like, Lord, I went to Jesse's house to anoint the son that none of them, you rejected all them. So evidently I didn't hear you right or I missed you or I misinterpreted something. No, he doesn't do that. What Samuel does is he questions the experience, what he's experiencing. He questions the evidence. Look at verse 11. He says, so he asked Jesse after all seven of those sons had been rejected by God. He asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Look at this. He's questioning the evidence. He's questioning those, those sons that Jesse presented. He's questioning the evidence that Jesse presented him. And he says, are these all the sons you have? Because he's recognizing that something is off. Something's not right. Something is missing. And so Jesse responds, he says, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. And so Samuel recognizes that something is not right, something is missing. And instead of questioning God, as stated before, instead of questioning God, he questions the evidence. He questions the ones, the one who provided the sons to pass before him. There's going to be times just like Samuel, where God may not give us all the details. He'll give us enough details to get started. And as we're going through the process, things seem to be lining up and going right. But all of a sudden, partway through the process, we hit a snag where things don't match what the Lord told us. God tells us one thing, but then we're looking and it's not adding up. Okay, God said, go to Bethlehem. I did that. Go to Jesse. I did that. And anoint one of his son. Okay, I ran out of options, Lord. There's no more sons. It's not looking like what God said. But instead of questioning God, we need to be like Samuel and start questioning the evidence. This don't look like what the Lord showed me. There has to be something else. And so he, he questions Jesse and are these all the sons? And then Jesse says, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Wow. Jesse has the eighth son. He doesn't call him by name, but he knows exactly where he is. This wasn't someone, this wasn't a son that was missing in action or he knew exactly where this son was. But for whatever reason, the son was out tending the ship and he wasn't in the house. He was not invited to the sacrifice. The text, the text doesn't tell us that he was excluded maliciously. 
But it does share with us that he was excluded because he's not in the house with the other sons. He's out there tending the sheep. So the father knew where the son was. He knew exactly where he was and he knew exactly what he was doing, but he didn't include him. He didn't bring him in with the rest of the sons. He did not cause him to pass before the prophet Samuel. But notice what Samuel does. Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. This allows us to understand that they can't even move to what's next until David is brought in. They can't even get to what's next until David is brought in. They cannot sit down to that meal because, again, they were at a sacrifice. You know, when they're at the sacrifice, they get to, to partake in a portion of that sacrifice. They cannot even eat until David, the one who is missing, is brought in. The missing one, the one who was not included, the one who was excluded for whatever reason could be because of his age, because he does says he does. The uh, Jesse does say Jesse does say, I'm sorry. He calls him the youngest. He's tending the sheep. It could be because he's young. He maybe Jesse thought he was too young to be a part of this lineup. Notice he also says he's tending the sheep or it could be that he didn't want to take him away from tending his sheep because the sheep belongs to the father and the sons, there would be a son or sons, would take care of the sheep. They would tend to the, the father's sheep. So it could be that he didn't want to lose him. Maybe he didn't want to bring him in because he didn't want to lose him as the one who was taking care of his father's sheep. He was serving the father. And so Prophet Samuel says, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Notice David didn't try to come in on his own. He didn't invite himself. He didn't bust in like, oh, they, they didn't include me, but I'm here. He didn't do any of that. He was where he was left at. He was tending his father's sheep. But that didn't stop him tending the sheep, didn't stop him from being brought in. The, uh, Samuel sent for him. Can we be like David and continue to do what we're doing and in the positions that we're doing, that we're working in? Can we continue to do what we are doing in that moment and not worry about who has excluded us, who has rejected us? Can we not get caught up in that? Can we not think about, oh, well, they they let them do it. But why didn't they let me do it? I've been excluded. The text doesn't say David did any of this. He was tending his father's sheep. And but then Samuel sent for him. Can we continue to tend our sheep, if you will, until we are sent for? The one who God chose. The one who God's attentions is on. Even though we are excluded, even though we are outside of the house, although we are considered, if you will, the outsider because we're outside of the house. David was outside of the house. He wasn't brought in with everybody else. He's on the outside. Can we wait and continue to do what we do until we are sent for? And so Sammy says, we cannot move to the next. We cannot sit down. We cannot move forward until the one who God has chosen is brought in until he arrives. And so he sent for him and brought him in. And he, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Again, he was good looking, but God was looking at the heart. And so 
when once he was brought in, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one, the very one who was excluded, was still God's choice. The very one who was left out to tent, he was left outside to tend his father's sheep was the one who God had his attention on, who God was focused on. His God's attention was focused on David. His attention was focused towards Bethlehem. But although he was excluded, although he was not brought in, although he was not part of the lineup, he still was God's choice. And so the Lord said, rise. He told Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel did exactly what the Lord says. He, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And then it says, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Raymond. So once Samuel anointed him in the presence of brother that day on this, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But then in verse 14, look what it says. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So we have on one hand, we have the spirit of the Lord that comes powerfully upon David the next, the, the anointed next king of Israel. But at the same time, the spirit of the Lord is departing from the sitting current king, King Saul. So the Lord is coming powerfully on one, but departing from another. But not only is the Lord spirit of the Lord departing from Saul, it is replaced. The Lord spirit that is departed from Saul, it is replaced with an evil spirit from the Lord designed to torment him. This evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And because of this tormenting that Saul is experiencing because the spirit of the Lord departs from him. And so 15, Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Again, we're seeing Saul's slow, steady demise. So his attendance is even recognizing that he has this evil spirit that is tormenting him. And so they give him some advice. They say in 16, let the let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit comes, the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So they're telling him, they're giving him some advice. They recognize that he, their leader, their king has an evil spirit on him that is tormenting him, bringing him torment. They are tormenting him. But they say, if you... Let somebody go search for someone who can play the lyre and this lyre, this playing of the lyre will help you feel better. And so Saul agrees. He says, okay, he said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. But notice what's taking place here. It says in verse 18, one of his servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. So David's reputation has already got into the palace. His reputation of being a great lyre player. His reputation of being brave and a warrior. His reputation of being able to speak well. And his reputation of being fine looking. And not only that, the most important thing, his reputation of the Lord being with him. So David, although he hasn't gone to the palace, 
His reputation has gone before him. Where have our reputations gone that we haven't arrived yet? And what is what will that reputation be? Will we have a reputation of being the one who the Lord is with? He speaks well. He's a brave man. He plays the leer. You know, he plays the leer well. And the Lord is with him. I don't know about you, but I want that to be my reputation. I want my reputation. I want my reputation to go ahead of me. And I want it to say that the Lord is with her. And your reputation to say the Lord is with him. And so then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. Notice David is anointed for the, to be the next king of Israel. But he's not in that position as of yet. After he is anointed here, you know, he was anointed in the few verses before. But here in 19, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So after David was anointed, he didn't immediately go and sit on the throne. He wasn't immediately taken to the palace. He was sent back to his position. He's still tending the seat. So that tells us that's an indication that tells us that God can anoint us. To, for a certain position, but that doesn't mean that we will occupy that position instantly. But where some of us make the mistakes is we think that when we are anointed to be in a particular position, we think that we're supposed to do that right then and there. I mean, there's times where that can happen. But in this instance with David, he was sent back to care for his father's sheep. It was not the time for him to occupy that position. Yes, he is anointed to be the next king of Israel, but it's not time for him to execute that yet. And so he is with the sheep. And I like this because a lot of times people, you know, we can be anointed something and we don't want to go back to what we was doing. You know, what would that have looked like for David to be walking around talking about, I'm, 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 uh, I've been anointed king of Israel. I've been anointed king of Israel when it's not time. And do you know if that could have caused a lot of trouble for him? And so he says, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son, David. So it is customary. It was customary for that time that when you're going to the king or if the king is summonsing you for you to take a gift. So he sent he took a donkey loaded it with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. Remember in previous previous chapters when Samuel was telling Israel what manner uh, the king would be, he said he would take your sons, he would take your daughters, and he would take the best of your lands and all that. So here we see when Saul wants something, you can't do nothing but give it to him. So he, Jesse, took his son and sent him on his way to Saul along with the donkey Loaded with bread, skin of wine, and young goat. He sent these items with his son, David, to Saul. And so David arrives in the palace. He came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. Again, he's not, now he's in the palace. Now he's anointed to be king. And he entered Saul's service. He didn't enter, he didn't try to become king. He didn't try to move Saul out the way. He entered the service. He, he was entering the service of whatever Saul needed from him. So Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. He was sent to come to play the leer to help with that tormenting, to calm that tormenting spirit that was tor tor that tor to calm the evil tormenting spirit that was tormenting Saul 
but also he gained another position also that of being an armor bearer. And so as he has entered the service of Saul, then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service. So what looked like it may have possibly been a temporary situation has now become a long-term situation where he is now, he has entered the service of Saul, maybe for a, a longer period or extension of time. He also ends that with saying, for I am pleased with him. Wow, we can learn so much here from David his reputation precedes him. And not only does it precede him in verse 18, but now we see that as he is in the palace, Saul is pleased with him. He is pleased with him. Can that be our story? Is that our story? Can we enter whatever service that we are that is required of us? Can we have the re- reputation of one who others have been pleased with? So no matter what you threw at David, no matter if he was tending his father's sheep, no matter if he was playing the lyre, no matter if he is the armor bearer, no matter what position he found himself in, he was faithful to that position. And it is said that the, the that Saul was pleased with him. And so whenever, verse 23, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, that terminating spirit, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. And so here we have David. He is now on the scene. David is the key player here, if you will, in this text. We will see as we look to the coming chapters, we will continue to see Saul's demise and David being elevated to his position. We see the pattern of God. We see Saul rejected as king. He's the first king of Israel is rejected. That first man is rejected. The second man is accepted. Just like with us, God has rejected our old man. And now that we have taken on the new man and we've been born again, he is accepting the new man, Adam, the first created of God, the first son of God created, rejected Jesus Christ. The second son of God who was born, uh, he's accepted. And because he accepted, he came here on an assignment from God. And he executed that assignment by going to the cross of Calvary. And he was nailed to that cross. He was crucified on that cross. And he died on that cross for you and for me. And he was buried in a broad tomb. And he rose on the third day morning with all power. He did this for you and for me. He is he is going through the process of completing his he's completing his assignment from God, where again he went to the cross of Calvary. He died for us. He was buried in the broad tomb. He rose on the third day morning with all power in his hand, and he is still executing his assignment. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father. And guess what? He's not done yet. He's coming back again. And that is the good news. He is coming back again. And so that concludes our Bible study this evening. Thank you for tuning in. I pray that you were blessed as I was blessed. See you next week. God bless. 
This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. (laughs) 